Revelation chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 1 through 16 and then spend our time concluding verse 8 and looking at a few thoughts in verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say again, this same word is used over there where it says, A light to lighten the Gentiles. The revelation opening up, allowing us to view, to see the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. 
and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. We'd like to stop there tonight, and we'd like to spend a little time in looking at the end of verse 8, and then spend a little time on verse 9. The last two words in the 8th verse are this, the Almighty. The verse says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now when we are looking at this term, the Almighty, and we spent some time last time we were together, but when we look at this term, we're looking at the one that is declared to be the Almighty, and he is declared to be the Almighty by several demonstrations. One of them that is so fascinating to us is he created all things from nothing. Now that, we just, I don't know, I cannot understand that. He created all things from nothing. He is the Almighty. There was no dirt. He created it. There was no atoms. He created them. There was nothing but God in his glory. And he's declared to be the Almighty by creating all things from nothing. We also find him declared to be the Almighty by the miracles that he performed. Now, I was thinking about this, about the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed, and he performed many miracles. In fact, some verses says, it doesn't even enumerate them, but he healed many. And we find the numbers of people that came and the maladies that they had, the diseases that they had, and they, they were blind people, and there were people who could not hear and people who could not speak. There were people who were all bent over. There were people who had issues of blood. There are people that we just, on and on, leprosy. He healed these people, and he demonstrated his being almighty by that. And, and as I was thinking about that, in our day and time, there's so many ways that God has blessed medical science in allowing us to have all sorts of surgeries that take care of many of the maladies that old, older aged people years in the past had no thought about. I, I've... I've read about people going in and having their eyes worked on, and they can throw their glasses away. And people who have, well, we have people right here had knee replacements. And just all manner. Uh, we got a Christmas card from a friend of ours, and her husband, Claude Haggerty, is going to go in and have some surgery on his ear. He's deaf as a post. <laughs> and he's going to have some surgery on his ear, going to get his, think they can get his hearing back. I mean, years past, this was impossible. We didn't even think about it. And open heart surgery, heart transplant, lung transplant, all of these things, back surgery, corrective surgery of all kinds are taking place in our time. But there is one place that the Lord has no rivals. He raised the dead. No rivals. No medical science has or ever will rival our Savior on that issue in that area. Now, he's, he's almighty in all the other areas. Don't get me wrong. But if we ever want 
to view him in his almightiness. Look at his healing, those erasing, those that were dead. And we never find it termed that the young girl who was 12 was dead, and the 20-year-old man was deader, and Lazarus was deadest. There's no superlatives. <laughs> They're all dead. And the Bible class on Sunday, well, we heard about that. The definition of dead just means that. And it doesn't matter how you come at it. It means dead. And that's what the Lord did. Now, he is dis declaring himself to be almighty by dealing with those three that we know of and then every one of his lost sheep. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They're enmity against God. And yet he, with his quickening power, is able to raise them. By the same power that he was raised, are we raised from the spiritual dead. And by that same power, when the day arrives, he will raise all his children from the ocean, from the earth, from where, uh, whatever circumstance they were in. He'll raise them. Now, he's also declared to be the Almighty when he raised himself from the grave. Almighty God in action when he raised himself from the dead. And he is declared to be Almighty. Now, this just thrills my heart. When he obtained eternal redemption for all his children. To redeem worms. To sit at his feet. Now that's almighty power. We may lift worms out of the ground, but we can't make them anything else. But he is able to take that which is dead and give it life and life that will worship God freely. Now, I love that free will. We can freely worship God. Whereas before, we were caught in a trap. We couldn't, but by His grace, we're raised from the spiritual dead. We can freely bow before Him, and in delight bow before Him. And we don't have His hand in the back of our head pushing us down. We want to worship Him as Lord and King and Savior. Because he, a great Savior, saves great sinners. And every one of his children are great sinners. The Apostle Paul summed it up for all of us. Chiefest of sinners. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of whom I am chief. And I believe he spoke for us. He is the orchestra leader for all the orchestra. Just, he speaks for us. Our names could be put there. And then he is declared to be the Almighty by having the eternal government of his people upon him. Now, my dad had a truck that had a governor on it, and it saved a lot of wear and tear. <laughs> Us kids wanted to run that thing, make it go faster, but you just couldn't get it past the point. Now, I don't know the mechanics of a governor, but I have driven trucks that had governors on them just for their own protection. My protection and the truck's protection. 
And isn't it wonderful that God has an almighty governor on all his children? They cannot be lost. He has a governor on them. He is the governor. He protects them from being everlastingly lost. He has a covenant of grace that protects us, that will not sentence us to eternal death. When we have been passed from death into life, his eternal governorship and his almightiness protect us from ever falling to perdition. I love him being almighty. I know myself. So I'm thankful that there's one that has that governorship over us, the eternal governorship of his people upon him. And he, as a result of that, he keeps his people and he upholds his people and he bears them and he carries them to the end. This is the Almighty. Now, a little g God can't do that. That's why we have little g gods in theology. They just can't keep you to the end. But the big G God, the almighty God, has made a promise before the world began that he would save his people and keep his people and present his people spotless. And as a result of his almightiness and his governorship over us, he will do exactly what he has promised to do. And the church just says, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I know myself. I know my heir. I know what I do. And then... He does this through all our infirmities and afflictions and temptations and trials. He still is governor. He has lost none. He will present all. He will find all. He will deal with all. And I am thankful to God that he is almighty. He's not Lord God almost. He is Lord God Almighty. And it takes that all. If the righteous scarcely be saved, it takes an almighty God to deliver us. We go through infirmities and afflictions, and I realize that they're all prescribed by Almighty God in temptations and trials, but he has promised as a result of his own almightiness that he will deliver us from every trial and every temptation and every affliction and every infirmity. He will deliver us. He will present us spotless. He will carry out his word. So he's almighty. The church needs an almighty God and he is the almighty God over his church. He is almighty God to them. He is their governor. The governor, government shall rest on his shoulders. And he carries us so clearly and distinctly as the scriptures tell us. We look like we're faltering. And f Have you ever carried a flailing kid? <laughs> we know what it's like. We're faltering and flailing, but he still carries us with precision. He will not drop his children. He will present them. He'll bring them home. So he's almighty. And he's, this is brought up so many times in the scriptures. And I believe here in the book of Revelation, there's four or five times he is declared to be the almighty. Now you just can't get any higher than that. That is superlative. Almighty. Now, I'm thankful for the people who have dealt with language, and they have taken two words and combined them. <laughs> all, A-L-L, and mighty, put it together, almighty. He's almighty. 
Now, as we have seen him as his, in his almightiness, it tells us there, as a result of that in verse 6, look at verse 6 with me, he hath made us kings and priests unto God. It takes almighty God to do that, to make us. What's he say? He hath made us kings and priests, king priests. He has taken the offscouring. <laughs> he has taken the, the, the worst of the lot, and he makes them to be kings and priests because he is almighty. He is able to do that. He is able to take that which is dead and give life. He is able to take those who are blind and give them sight. He is able to take those who cannot speak and give them speech. He is able to take those who cannot hear and give them hearing. He is able to take those who are all bent over by nature and cause them to be upright. He is able to do that because he is almighty God. And that is what we need. That is who we need. And that is who we bow to is Lord God Almighty. Now, as a result of that too, we find in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, would you turn with me over to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Now, I realize that this is a totally different John. These words are written about the John that came to prepare the way. This is Elizabeth's son. This is the boy that was born three months or six months earlier than our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He has the same name as the one that we're reading about over here. And these words that are recorded about that John could have be recorded about this John. Now read with me. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, those words could be precisely applied to this John over as we've been reading in the book of Revelation. This John could be applied about the one who wrote the book of John and 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and now the one that has been given the privilege of taking down the notes about Revelation. There was a man. Now, we want to emphasize that. He was a man used in the most powerful capacity, and that was to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a man, and it tells us over here he was sent from God. Now, I like that part about John when we read about him in Revelation. He's a man sent from God. We wouldn't want anyone else we want someone who has the authority to speak for our God. And this man, John, was sent from God. This man, John, John the Baptist, was sent from God. This man, John, over here in the book of Revelation, was sent from God. God put him into this ministry. 
And God used him in a powerful way to give us one of the grandest descriptions of our Lord God Almighty that we find in all the scriptures. This is a compilation of all the scriptures put together in one book so that as we read through here, we see the grandeur of our Savior and the glory of our Savior and the work and ministry of our Savior on the behalf of all his sheep because he is called the Lamb in here more times than any other book. This is what John wrote about. Now, looking in that same book, John chapter 1, look in verse 15, if you would. And though it's writing about another John, this, these words could be written about this John or any prophet in the Old Testament or the 11 disciples or Paul the apostle or Barnabas or Matthias or any of God's children and in particular, those he's put there in that special place as he did John. Notice this. John chapter 1, verse 15. It says, and John bear witness of him. <laughs> John bear witness of Christ. Now, I was thinking about an incident that happened here about a year ago. We had some visitors. There was three men and their wives. And when I finished, no, it's been two or three years, excuse me. When I finished the Bible lesson, one of those men made a challenging comment. Now, I realized right then that he had a little flock with him, and he wanted to keep control of them. There is no room for jealousy in the ministry. No room. We're not in it to build our little flocks, <laughs> We're not in it to build our own empires. We're in it. What did John, what's it say about John? It says, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom he spake, of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And John is older in physical age than the one he's talking about, but he realizes that the one he's talking about is from eternity. And he bear witness of him. Now let's follow this just a little further. Verse 27 of that same chapter. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latched I'm not worthy to unloose. This John is speaking the same words that this John and all of the disciples and the apostle Paul could be some of them. And all the prophets of the Old Testament was their ministry was not theirs but God's. And it was for the promotion of Almighty God and not themselves. What's it say here in verse 27? It says in verse 27, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. So when we read over there, I, John... And he goes on to describe what's going on. We're looking at a man that was put there to write exactly what God told him to write. And he is a man sent from God. And his whole ministry has been based upon this. I point men to Christ. Now, let's read here just a little further. Verse 29 of that first chapter says, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now this is one of two places I believe in this book, and the rest of them are all found in the book of Revelation, where this one says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now that word lamb, those Jews that heard him knew exactly what they were talking about. This is just not a 
off-the-cuff word. This is sacrificial lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. And then in verse 35, notice this. Verse 35, and I believe that John in the book of Revelation could have had this written about him. Notice this. And again, verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and what? He lost his disciples. He's losing his power base. <laughs> what happened to them? They followed Jesus. And you know what John said? Amen. I've been pointing them in that direction, and there he is, and they followed him. Now, that was his ministry. And I am convinced that that's the ministry of John that we find in the book of Revelation that he has no different ministry whatsoever in this world. I, John, is the same person that we could put over here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and his whole ministry was to declare the glory of Christ and how insignificant he is. He is. Little h-e. But he is almighty. I point men to him. I point women to him. I point children to him. I point to him. That's what John said. That's what John said. That's what Paul said. That's what every believer in Christ Jesus will say. I'm not interested in gathering. They'd say, I'm not interested in gathering a group around me. I'm interested in gathering a group around him. He's our only hope. He's the Savior. He's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, go back there to the book of Revelation, and let's look at this again. I, John. Now, I don't know how you'd feel if this man stepped in our midst and we knew who he was. Boy. John. It says he got to rest his head on the Lord Jesus. It says he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw him in his glory. I don't know what. I don't know. But what did he say about himself? Notice with me here. I, John, who also am your brother. Hmm. There is no big people. There is no big preachers. If there was ever an opportunity for a big preacher, John... He's the only one recorded in all of the New Testament that got to park his head on the breast of our Savior. Two, got to see him, three, two more got to see him in transfiguration. Others got to see different things, but he's the only one that got to park his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus. And when it comes time to represent himself to others, I, John, am your brother. We have the same position. We have the same position. Children of God. Now, I'd like to look at a couple of verses. Uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you would. Who also am your brother. 
what grace will do to a person. No elevated position. There will not be an elevated position. There will not be trying to, to create an a elevated position. It's just not in the church. Now, people may try that, but it's not from God. Turn here with me. Matthew 20. As we look at this, I, John, who am your brother. I, I just struck me as I saw that I'm, I'm your brother. We, we would have been glad to say, John, you're special. Oh, if you come to our church, we'd have you preach. <laughs> we'd want you to preach several times, too. And John would just say, I'm just your brother. Just your brother. I'm not elevated. I have nothing more and nothing less than any other child of God. We all have the Lord God Almighty. And we have this relationship as brother, as, well, we put it this way before, there's no aunts and uncles in the kingdom. <laughs> We're all brothers and sisters. There's a relationship, a blood-bought relationship that we have because of Christ that no one else knows about. We have brothers and sisters we've never met. But when we meet them, I don't know how many times I've heard this. It's like a, we've always known each other. <laughs> we've just always known each other. Well, we have, we go back to eternity together. We go back to the covenant of grace. And every one of God's people see the line that God has traced for them to bring them to the hearing of the gospel, to their paths crossing Christ. Now, Matthew 20. I'll get there. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. Read these words with me. Matthew 20, verse 25. As we hear John say, I, John, who am your brother. What a man. I mean, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, one, one that walked with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years. One that saw miracles. And yet, when it comes time to write about himself, I, John, who am your brother. We sit in the same pew. He can say with us, we were saved out of the same pew. Saved by the same grace. By the same Lord. By the same gospel, we're saved the same way. Now, Matthew 20, verse 25, the scriptures share this. But Jesus called them unto him and says, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it... <laughs> It shall not be so among you. I like that word shall, don't you? <laughs> I don't want it that way among you. No, he says it shall not be that way among you. It shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be the greatest among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man also came. A man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, this is the way it will be. There will not be 
a, a hierarchy, is what he's saying. Now, turn with me to another verse here, Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 8. That's why John's writing, I, John, who am your brother. He had every right to say, well, you know, we're all saved in the same way, and we all have the same God, but I walked with him. So if you just raise the stool a little higher for me. No, I'm your brother. If he walked in here, he'd put his arms around us. If he walked in here, he'd talk about the Lord. He walked in here, it would no boasting about himself, it would be boasting in Christ. There would be nothing that would draw attention to John. Just as we read about John over there in the book of John, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and his whole ministry was based on one thing, pointing even his disciples to Jesus. Now, notice here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 8. The scriptures say this. But be not ye called rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are what? Brethren. Equality. The only place we ever have absolute equality is in the spiritual body of Christ. Now it will come when we sit at his feet. <laughs> We'll have absolute, every bit, equality. But right now, the only place where we're all equal is in Christ. He says there in verse, uh, verse 8, And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And he's talking about spiritual father, you know. He's not talking about calling my father father. He's talking about it in a spiritual sense. Don't, you, you only got birth from one father. There's only one father had seed to give you birth. That's our heavenly father. And then he goes on to say that neither be you called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Boy, the ground gets level, doesn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, it is plain. They've gone over it with a long, long land leveler. A lot of feet between the wheels. It's level at the cross. He just goes down here, don't be rabbi, don't be master, don't be father, don't be master. There's one master. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he shall, that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And only one in this world can do that. That's Christ. There's no greater position than to be exalted in Christ, lifted up in him. And so he said this, Whoa. And then, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians 4. As we think about John saying, I'm your brother. Oh, if there's anyone. Paul, boy, we'd put him on a pedestal. But he just said, I'm the least of the apostles. I persecuted the church of God. I'm the chiefest of sinners. You know what he's saying? He's right down here where we all are. And he walked through that door. He just put his arms around us. He wouldn't expect any special treatment. We'd be honored to have him speak for us. But we, he'd expect no special treatment. I'm your brother. We all know Christ. Let's just praise God Almighty. Now, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
a verse of scripture that goes right along with John's words there about himself. He says, John, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now that's humbling, isn't it? <laughs> if you got anything, you got it from someone else. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You came up with it on your own. Huh? <laughs> Sorry. Apostle Paul says, I didn't get it that way, and you don't get it that way. We don't come up with it on our own. Woe to those who think they do. Woe to those who think by much study they get intelligence. It's not that way. We get it by revelation. And that is sovereignly given. Sovereignly given. As God is almighty, he's sovereign over that too. Now, turn with me, if you would, to 3 John. 3 John. Now, the writer that was used over here in the book of Revelation wrote three other small letters. And 3 John is the smallest. But he had a serious, serious, serious thing to discuss here. And he, Jim and I were talking earlier about Charles Spurgeon. He never backed up on anything. When it came to the Bible, well, John didn't back up on names either. <laughs> John just brought it right out in the open so nobody would be mistook about who he's speaking about. Here in 3 John chapter, oh, excuse me, 3 John, verse 9 and 10, <laughs> says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Now, he wouldn't write, I, Diotrephes, who am your brother. He's got this elevated position. He's got a little group around him, and they're calling him rabbi and master. And he loves it. And John wrote to, about him, says, Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Can you imagine a preacher not receiving John? I can. A whole bunch of them don't want to even read his writings. Okay, next, look at the next verse. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Now John was permitted to write, I, John, who am your brother. If there was diotrephes, he's mentioned twice in the scriptures, and he is a real pain. John is mentioned a number of times, and you know what? He'd sit down on that front bench with anybody that wanted to visit. That is one thing I have appreciated about all, well, 99.9% .9 of the speakers at camp. You want to visit, they're ready. That is gracious. Gracious. John's a busy man, but he would write, I, John, who am your brother. We have this in common. I, John, who am your brother. And then, would you look one other verse, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 
the, the uh, Apostle Peter was used as a secretary to write these two books, two letters. And here in the first one, in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, we read these words. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now this is the ministry. Feed the flock of God. Now that just makes it simple. That just simplifies things. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, I like that. I like that. He's clear, plain instructions. Those words could be summed up this way. I, John, who am your brother. I am not expecting anything special. Because all the church is going to inherit equally. But do you hear the inheritance? Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's pretty heavy inheritance. That's a delight. And everyone gets an equal portion. I, John, who am your brother, I'm going to inherit. I did what I was asked to do. I, John, who am your brother. Now, let's go back over there for just a moment and look at this. He says he's a companion. He's a companion. I like that. He's a companion. He's a companion. He's a companion with every believer. I, John, who am your brother. What's he say? Who also am your brother and, com and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I'm your companion. Now, I'd like to read one of the places where this word companion is translated a little bit different. That's found in Romans chapter 11. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Notice this with me. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Now this just makes it so simple. It just explains what that word companion means. It says, and if some of the branches be broken off. Now we'll get to the book of Romans chapter 11 someday. And we'll go over this. And there's some things here, I'll be honest with you, I pray to God he opens my eyes about. But there's some things we can understand. And I have to say again here, there's a whole lot of this, I know what it's not talking about. If it discredits our Savior, it's not talking about that. If it's making him look weak, it's not talking about that. If it makes him change in his mind, sorry, it's not talking about that. We may not know what it's talking about, but it's not going to discredit God. All right. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree... 
Now, did anyone catch the word in there that's the same? It's partakest. Now, look at that. Partakest of the root. <laughs> I'll tell you there is an image. <coughs> we partake of the same root. Christ. That's where we partake. That's our companion. We're companions. We're sucking the same juices out of the root. He's grafted us in. And our whole life is the life and the branches are in the root. <laughs> Doesn't take us much to answer that, does it? <laughs> the life is in the root. And the branch's life depends on it. And he says, we're, I'm a companion. We're down here and we're all hooked to the root. And our whole spiritual well-being is dependent upon that attachment that he made with me with the root. I used to watch my father graft. He was a grafter. <laughs> graft trees. Now the root didn't jump up there and do it by itself. He went and pruned it off of one tree and opened up that bark and put it down in there and wrapped it up and lo and behold if it was by the right sign of the moon <laughs> that's what he said it would take off and grow it was not the twig it was not the branch it was the grafter that did that now that branch that was brought in its whole life depends upon the sap of that tree the root and John saying it I'm a companion we're down there licking up the same juices our whole life is dependent upon being attached to the root we have nothing in ourself I'm just your brother we're just down here enjoying supper together sweetest most delightful food and nutrition that anyone could have. I'm your companion. I'm just sapping up the sap. That puts a picture in my mind that just makes it all enjoyable. And it's no wonder he said, I'm just your brother. We're down there attached to the same place. And our whole life is dependent upon that attachment. Companion. He says, I'm your companion in tribulation. Now, that word tribulation, I want to go over to the book of Mark, chapter 4. We've read this and have had it read several times. And this word tribulation is found right here. He's a companion in tribulation. He had lots of tribulation. He, well, Sister Tilly was sitting in a rocking chair and a parson came by and he, she was just there rocking away, and he says, Sister Tilly, are you okay? And she says, yes, the Lord said I'd have tribulation. I'm just sitting here tribulating. <laughs> Companion in tribulation. Now notice this, Mark chapter 4, verse 17. Now this is part of the parable of the seed, the soil. Now this same word that we found over here in the book of Revelation Versus companion in tribulation. Now here that same word is mentioned. And this will come along. And it will loosen and remove those who have not Christ. It's the sifter. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 17. The scripture says, And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction. That's the same word. Now, Paul, uh, John said, I'm, I'm your brother, and I'm your companion in tribulation. The tribulation doesn't shake a believer. Tribulation shakes unbelievers. He will loosen them. They think they're grafted in, but they're not. He says there, afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And what happens? We've seen that in the scripture. This is a hard saying. And what happened? They walked with him no more. So this tribulation that we're companion with John is also the tribulation that comes along and shakes the ones who have not Christ. And before you know it, now we're never, we're never, we're instructed to never go after those who we think may not be Christians. Leave them alone, he said. Leave them alone. Now, there's no better place in all the world than have them hear the gospel. <laughs> My goodness. Have them hear the gospel. But we're to leave them alone. When the end shall come, he'll sift them out. But we leave them alone. That's his instructions. And good instructions. Because Lord only knows we make terrible mistakes. We do. All right. I just want to read that verse again over there in Revelation. I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation. Now notice this. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, he knows what it is to have tribulation. He's a preacher of the gospel, and he's just preaching it from the housetop. And someone came along and arrested him and sent him out to this barren, barren island and said, this will be your home. We're taking your fellowship away from you. We're taking everybody you know away from you, and we're exiling you out here, and now you shut up. And then it says, when I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, <laughs> I just love it. God doesn't abandon his people. He just gave him one of the richest blessings John's ever had. He saw his Savior one more time, face to face. And this time when he saw him, he said, I fell down as if I were dead. 